calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Heart of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy. Written and produced by Travis Heerman. Voice talent by Danielle McCarville and Zeus Legion. For more information, please visit TravisHeerman.com. This novel contains violence and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 9. A warrior should not say anything faint-hearted even casually. He should set his mind to this beforehand. Even in trifling matters, the depths of one's heart can be seen. Hagakure. Kanishi and Kiyose walked the path leading to the fishing pond. Akao loped ahead of them with his nose to the ground. The path wound inland through rocky outcroppings, bamboo groves, and thickly gnarled trees. As they walked, Kanishi kept his attention on the path, trying to observe any signs that Teta might have gone this way, or anything else that looked unusual. Kiyose followed along, doing her best to stay quiet and out of the way, as she did so often. She did so much work for him, even though she spent long days working for Teta. How she found time to do things for Kanishi he did not know. He enjoyed her company and her warmth in his bed. He sometimes wondered why his pleasure was never as intense as it had been once before. He pondered this, and then he did his best to put those memories away, to lock them in a box of iron within his belly. Sometimes Kiyose's timidity was too much for him to take, but he could hardly chastise her for it. Everyone else expected her to behave that way, and she had been trained harshly in the geisha house. Only in their most private moments did he see the inquisitive, passionate spirit that she kept hidden from Teta and all her patrons. Only with Kanishi did she reveal it, like removing the lid from a pot containing a single beautiful spark. He did not like to think about all the other men, but he felt privileged because they did not get to see what he saw. But he had been worried about her lately. 
she had been acting strangely, and sometimes she was pale and weary-looking, as if she was ill. Um, excuse me, she said. There is something I must tell you. He stopped and turned. What is it? She stopped and looked down at the dirt path. There is something... What's the matter? Are you crying? She flinched. Had his voice been too sharp? Sometimes he had to be insistent to make her speak her mind. What is it? Her voice was shaky with emotion, and he sensed that sobs were bubbling just below the surface. I thought you should know. What is it? He grew more insistent. I... I... He crossed his arms and waited impatiently. I... I am with child. His mouth fell open, and he stood motionless, thunderstruck. He had no idea what to say. An avalanche of unpleasant images tumbled through his mind. Images of starvation and want and sickness and suffering. All he could imagine now was how much more difficult her life would become now that she would have to care for an infant. Teta gave her enough food, but how would he react when one of his best sources of income was put out of service? When she began to grow large, no man would touch her, and not for a while after she had given birth. She would be polluted by the blood for a time afterwards. He hoped that Teta would not throw her out or sell her to someone else when he discovered what had happened. Kanishi could not yet afford to buy her contract. She stood motionless, as if waiting for him to say something, but he could think of nothing. He did not wish to hurt her feelings by being harsh, nor did he want to fill her with the false hope that he could rescue her from her plight. Perhaps, in a few more months, he could. And he felt pity for the child as well. It would be born the bastard child of a common whore. Its existence was already doomed. Did she mean to tell him that the child belonged to him? How could she know that? It could be the progeny of almost any man in the village. So he said nothing. He turned and continued up the path, stopping when she did not follow him. Her soft weeping brought him around to see her standing in the same place, her shoulders quaking, her cheeks dripping with tears of pain and despair. He sighed and walked back to her. Come, Kiyose, brace up. She looked up at him tentatively. You're not angry with me? Angry? Of course not. Have courage, and the gods will smile on you. I have never had courage. Of course you have. You had the courage to tell me of your situation. You could have hidden it. Not for much longer, I'm afraid. The child will be born in the autumn. He did not know how she knew. It was one of the great mysteries known only to women. But he nodded sagely. Then he reached out and stroked her head. She almost collapsed against him, seized by a fit of sobbing. He held her for a while until the weeping stopped. Then he said, Come, let's go. She nodded and wiped her eyes giving him a feeble smile 
As she glanced up at him, he saw the mixed fear and thanks in her eyes. Kanishi called ahead, Akao, did he come this way? The dog's voice called back from ahead, Don't know, only smell wild pigs. Moments later, his face appeared from the bushes beside the path, and he stopped to look at them. Kiyose sniffled and wiped at her tears. Akao stepped forward and licked her hand. A giggle fought with her sobs and came out victorious for a moment. He is so smart, she said. Akao said, of course. Kanishi chuckled. She said, can you really talk to him when you make those sounds? Can you understand him? Kanishi nodded. Perhaps I could teach you. She laughed. No, I am too stupid for that. I can't read or write. Neither could I, not so long ago. But I am learning. He laughed and pointed at the dog. He can't read or write either. A cow barked at him. Not necessary. She laughed again and rubbed the dog's ears. It is no wonder that everyone in the village loves him. He is so kind and smart. Akao asked Kanishi, What did she say? She said everyone in the village thinks you are smart and kind. They should. True. His eyes sparkled with laughter for a moment, then darkened. But some of them hate. Hate. You. Us. But Kiyose was oblivious to this dark turn in the conversation. Where did you find him? Have you been together long? About two years now. And he found me. The world just went on and on, without end. Kanishi had no idea it was such a big place. He had walked for weeks, up and down trackless mountains, through valleys and along rivers. He was tired. He rubbed his soiled bare feet, caked with dirt and bits of fallen leaves. The day was hot, the sun beating down through the treetops onto the leaf bed soaked from last night's rain, turning the still air into a sticky, oppressive soup. Sweat dripped down his nose. He took out his water gourd, but as soon as he lifted it, he remembered that it was empty. He had already drained it after filling it with rain the night before. He took out the rice cakes wrapped in leaves from his pouch. Two days before, he passed through a village holding a summer festival, and the villagers' drunken merriment worked to his benefit. They had given him a handful of sticky, delicious rice cakes. These were the last two. He had eaten the rest. He ate one and put the other back in the pouch. He might be hungrier later. But the sticky cake almost stuck in his throat, and he had no water to wash it down. With great effort, he choked it down and felt cheated for a moment at being robbed of enjoying what little food he had. A flash of unreasoning anger and frustration shot through him, and he kicked the ground. Always he was starving, or nearly so, always searching for his next meal. 
he walked the land unprotected from the rain. All of his things were still wet from the day before. He was a warrior, not a beggar. He kicked the ground again, harder this time, and struck a stone. A sharp pain lanced up his leg, and blood flowed from the sole of his foot. He collapsed on the road, flopping down in a disconsolate pile. His eyes burned with tears and sobs rose in his throat with such strength he could not hold them back. His tears made streaks down his dirty cheeks. He missed Takao and Kayo. He missed Kayo's kind smile and Takao's lessons. He missed having food in his belly and someone he could trust. Someone he thought he could trust. But the people he trusted had turned him out. He understood why they had done it. But it still hurt, and he still missed them. They were the only human beings he had ever known, and they turned him away. And the only girl he had ever known wasn't a girl at all, and she betrayed him, tricked him. Haru was so beautiful. Even now he remembered the warmth of her cozy den, the smell of her skin and the touch of her nose. Perhaps life would have been easier as a fox, with food to eat and someone to share it with him. He had been so eager to leave his mountain home, to leave his teacher, to meet other human beings, but he had been foolish. People were so often cruel, heartless, unfriendly. Everywhere he went, he was an outsider to be feared or distrusted. Now, seeing his harsh, abrasive old teacher again would make him so happy. Even the comfort of the drafty old cave on the mountaintop would have been preferable to yesterday's relentless downpour. He set his pouch on the ground and wiped the tears from his face. For a while, he just stared at the dirt of the path, finding patterns in the lay of the stones, the colors of the earth, feeling as if a tremendous weight rested on his shoulders, bearing them down. Until he heard something beside him. He glanced to his side and saw his pouch was moving. It was moving because there was a nose in it. A reddish-brown, furry nose. Two deep brown eyes gazed up at him. The dog backed away. Kanishi's last rice cake was in its mouth. The sobs in the breath changed to laughter. Laughter like sweet relief from endless pain. He laughed so hard he fell onto his back holding his belly. Fresh tears streamed down his cheeks, but they were tears of a different sort. After all of his troubles, all of the injustices done to him, all of his hunger and privation, his last bit of food was stolen by a dog. He laughed all the harder. When the laughter died, he sat up again, and the dog was still there, watching him. The leaf-wrapped rice cake was still in its mouth. Its muscles were poised to run. Kanishi spoke in the animal tongue he learned as a child. You can have the rice cake. Don't worry. I won't harm you. The dog jumped in surprise. Animals were always so surprised when they discovered that Kanishi could speak to them. Some were so surprised they just ran away. Then the dog placed the rice cake on the ground at its feet, 
so that it could speak clearly. The dog spoke slowly. Thought you were sleeping. Didn't move for a long time. How can you speak? The dog's eyes glinted with intelligence. Its ribs were visible under its rusty red fur. Because I learned. Same as you. You can eat the rice cake. I don't mind. Why? So angry before. You were watching me? For a while. Well, I'm not angry now. Why? Stole your food. Kanishi smiled and lay back on the ground, resting his head on his arms. I never have any food. I'm used to it. You look hungry. Hungry, yes. With that, the dog gulped down the rice cake, leafy covering and all. Don't like man food, but eat it sometimes. Kanishi did not look at the dog, just gazed up through the leafy canopy at the hot blue sky. I imagine you like red meat, warm and bloody and still on the bone. Yes, rabbits are best. The dog's feet padded nearer. You like rabbits? Yes, but not raw. Cooked. Too bad. Cooking spoils flavor. Makes it taste like chicken. Kanishi looked over as the dog lay down beside him. It was then he noticed the dark, wet, rusty red stains on its hindquarters and the stump of wood protruding from the fur. You're wounded. Stole food. Caught. Kanishi sat up. I can try to take it out. The dog whimpered. The arrow had been gnawed off, leaving only a couple of finger breadths to grasp. The wood was wet with half-crusted blood. It would be difficult if the arrowhead were deep. But he knew what to do. Hold still, he said. He leaned down with his head and clamped onto the wood with his teeth. He could taste the wood and blood, but he didn't care. The hard wood crunched between his teeth, and he knew he had a good grip. Then he placed his hands on the dog's hindquarters. The dog whined again. Kanishi pulled with his teeth and pushed with his hands. The dog yelped and howled and leaped away, but in so doing finished drawing the arrowhead from its flesh. The animal stumbled and fell. Blood welled from the puncture wound, spreading a fresh stain in the already matted fur. Kanishi spat out the stump of arrow and stood up. The dog was not moving. Its mouth was open, tongue lolling in the dirt. He picked it up and began to carry it. He had to find water to wash the wound or it might still die. The animal was surprisingly light and its bones poked against the skin. It was starving even more than him. He carried the dog for perhaps an hour, sighing with relief as he came upon a stream gurgling with fresh, clear water. He cleaned the wound and set the dog on a comfortable-looking grassy spot while he bathed, drank his fill, and replenished his water bottle. He felt the kami of the stream smiling at him, and he luxuriated naked in the water's cool touch, a blessed respite from the summer heat and his worries. 
The air cooled with the coming of evening. The three of them found the pond just as Teta described it, in a beautiful, clued glade. Slanting sunbeams filtered through the leaves to dapple on the water. The pond was perhaps eighty paces across at its widest point, tapering at one end, with much of its bank draped in trees and undergrowth. He had no idea how deep it might be. Most of the waterline was choked with reeds, but as he bowled through the patches of dense growth, he found short stretches where the reeds had been flattened or removed for fishing. In these areas, he found footprints, bits of string, and even a broken fishing pole. Akao disappeared to perform his own meticulous search. The pond was flanked along one side by a steep rock face that stretched up through the boughs out of sight. As they searched the banks of the pond, Kanishi felt the endless weight of the hill above looming over him, an eternal presence in this secluded spot. Water trickled down the rock face, leaving interwoven tracks of many colors, surrounded by patches of deep green lichen. The water was deep and murky in the middle, so Kanishi could not see far into its depths. They searched the banks for an hour, but found no trace of Teta. They searched the path between the pond and the village for spilled blood or any signs of a struggle, but found nothing. Eventually, the gathering darkness forced them to give up. They returned to the village as the sun was beginning to set. They found Norikage waiting for them at the constabulary. As Kanishi entered the office, Norikage said, I made several inquiries around the village. No one has seen Teta today. Kanishi said, Let's go talk to Chiba. Perhaps he had something to do with this. Of course, but he would deny it, Norikage said. Then we will interrogate him until he confesses. Let us not be overzealous. Chiba and his brothers have friends among the other fishermen. We should not turn the town against us. The people of Aoka respect you, Kanishi, but never forget that you are an outsider. We are both outsiders. They will turn on us before they turn on one of their own unless our claims cannot be disputed. They will turn on us before they turn on one of their own unless our claims cannot be disputed. Do not confuse respect for friendship. They must obey. That is true. But we are two, and they are many. Remember our position. We cannot turn to the government for assistance if they turn on us. We must keep order. When there is no doubt, then we will act. Kanishi sighed, feeling helpless and worried about Teta. Kiyose stood just behind him, and he could tell from her face that she was even more worried than he was. Despite the fact that Teta owned her, he treated her better than most women in her position could expect, and he protected her from Chiba. Teta had a son who would inherit the inn if Teta were dead. But Gonta was young and inexperienced, and he sometimes ridiculed her without mercy. Kanishi knew that she feared what would happen to her if Teta were gone, even more so now with the impending revelation of her condition. 
Norikage said, I have an idea. We will not arrest Chiba. But he is a stupid boy and does not like pressure. If he believes we suspect him in Teta's disappearance, he may inadvertently provide us with what we seek. Kanishi smiled grimly. You're a devious man, Norikage. Remember where I come from. Kanishi said, Kiyose, remain here in Norikage's office. Do not open the door for anyone but us. She bowed. Understood. Now, Kanishi, Norikage said as he began to lead Kanishi away from the office. Let me do all the talking. You merely have to stand and look threatening. Make sure he can see your sword. Darkness had fallen by the time they found Chiba at the docks, securing his fishing boat for the night. The moment he saw them, he stood rod straight and glanced about for a means of easy escape. Kanishi and Norikage walked down the dock toward him. If Chiba were going to run, he would have to leap into the water first. Chiba demanded, What do you want? Kanishi caught Norikage's glance, warning him to be silent. Norikage answered, Your cooperation, Chiba. The young man glanced back and forth between them. He was about Kanishi's age, but the fisherman's hard life had already darkened his skin, worked deep lines into his face, and left thick calluses on his hands. Kanishi sized him up. Chiba was strong and well-muscled. His features were broad and blunt like his father's, with thick lips and an outthrust jaw, close-set eyes and thick, brine-encrusted hair hanging in ragged strands around his face. Kanishi noted that he wore a sheathed knife tied to his waist, perhaps the same boning knife Yoba had used to kill Masahige. Kanishi's fists and teeth clenched. His blood thundered in his ears. How badly he wanted to punish this miscreant for beating Kiyose. Silently, he entreated the kami to coax Chiba into giving him an excuse. What kind of cooperation? Honored constables. Chiba's words dripped with disdain. Kanishi clamped his will down upon the rage surging in his belly. He took a long, deep breath focusing his will. Norikage said, We only wish to ask you a few simple questions, Shiba. Have you seen Teta today? Kanishi noted the flash of panic in Shiba's eyes. The young fisherman knew why they were here. I have not seen Teta today. When did you see him last? Norikage said. A few days ago. I saw him in the street. He stayed away from me. And why is that? You know why. Because of his whore. What of her? We know where she is. Teta is the one who is missing. His family is worried about him. Why are you asking me these questions? We are asking everyone questions. We only want to find out where Teta might have gone. His family is concerned. Even through the haze of his own anger, Kanishi noted the skill with which Norikage used his voice to alternatively wheedle and demand answers. Norikage said, Why are you so nervous, Chiba? 
Surely you do not think we suspect you had something to do with Teta's disappearance. Chiba's jaw clenched so ferociously that the muscles of his cheeks flexed. He said nothing. Very well. If you say you have not seen him, then you have not seen him. Let's go, Kanishi. Norikage bowed slightly, turned, and flashed a coaxing glance at Kanishi. Kanishi took a step toward Chiba, and the fisherman took a wary step back. He thrust the hilt of his sword forward. Chiba, if anything has happened to Teta, I will kill you. If anything happens to Kiyose, I will kill you. Do you understand? Chiba's face blanched as white as a fish's belly. Do you understand? he roared. Chiba flinched, but hatred smoldered like hidden embers behind the fear in his eyes. Yes, constable, I understand. His words were subservient, but his bearing was not. Kanishi leaped forward, grabbed Chiba by the collar, and struck him across the cheek with the back of his fist. Do you understand? Chiba reeled from the force of Kanishi's blow, and his knees buckled. The defiance drained out of him like water from a punctured bladder. His voice was quiet and respectful, quivering with fear. Yes, constable. Understood. Come, Kanishi. There are more people we must speak to. Norikage's voice was bright and cheery, belying the tension of the moment. Kanishi released the fisherman's collar and backed away several steps. Then he turned to follow Norikage. When they were out of Chiba's earshot, Norikage said, That went well. He is frightened. Frightened men make mistakes. We shall soon see the truth, I think. Kanishi grunted in agreement, but he was not so sure. Now, said Norikage, I think we need to speak to Teta's son. Gonta may be able to tell us when Teta was last at home. And there is something else. He is the person most likely to benefit if something happened to Teta. Kanishi glanced at him. Are you saying Gonta might have killed his own father? That is not what I am saying but I do not think it is impossible. In the capital, I heard of far more heinous acts. Perhaps Gonta helped his father into an early grave so that he could take over the inn. Kanishi thought about that. A son killing his own father was one of the most heinous acts he could imagine. For a moment, he considered how things would change if Teta were dead. Teta's family would suffer a grievous loss. Kiyose's welfare would suffer too, and Gonta might force her to cease her relations with Kanishi, and Kanishi would lose one of his most influential allies in Aoka village, the innkeeper. When they arrived at the inn, they found Gonta hard at work preparing the noon meal. There were no travelers staying in the inn, but some of the villagers occasionally went to the inn to eat or have a cup of tea or sake. There were no customers today, but when they entered, Kanishi saw several small baskets of food and gifts placed on tables in the main room, an outpouring of concern from many of the villagers. When Gonta saw them enter, he hurried toward them, 
His brow glistened with sweat from his work. He was long and lean, much like his father, with the same forehead and bulbous skull, but with less of the joviality that Teta put to such good use in his inn. He was a young man, in his early twenties, and had not yet found a wife. Gonta said, Thank you very much for coming to visit honorable constables. Have you any news about my father's whereabouts? Norikage said, I am sorry, Gonta. We have learned nothing yet. In fact, that is why we are here. Perhaps you can help us. Kinishi did not believe that Gonta had anything to do with Teta's disappearance, but Norikage had a devious mind and was crafty enough to consider uncomfortable possibilities. Therefore, Kinishi would pay close attention to Gonta's reactions to Norikage's questions. Of course, sirs, I am happy to do anything. Gonta appeared surprised and hopeful that he could help find his father. When did you last see him? Norikage asked. Yesterday morning. He told me he was going fishing. There is a pond where he likes to fish not far from the village. I often went there with him when I was a boy. But you did not go with him this time? No. I seldom go with him any more. There is too much work here for both of us to be absent. Did anyone go with him? No. He always goes alone. He says that he goes fishing to be alone. But no one has seen him since yesterday. Are you sure that he went fishing there? He always goes fishing there. Gonta grew more fearful. Perhaps something happened to him along the way. Robbers! Norikage said, Or perhaps he did not go fishing. Perhaps he went to Hakozaki. Gonta shook his head. I don't think so. He would have told us if he was going to Hakozaki. Very well, Norikage said. His voice sounded as if he had asked enough questions for now. Gonta said, Um, honorable constables, there was something else. Two days ago, I saw a tanuki go under the inn. A tanuki, Norikage said. Yes, it saw me, and then it crawled under the inn. It was in broad daylight. Isn't that strange? Perhaps it is a bad omen. Kanishi imagined a naughty tanuki digging a burrow under Teta's inn, and its low-slung, furry body with the playful-looking black mask over its eyes. Tanuki were well known for their mischievous natures, and they could change into the shapes of anything, much like foxes. Yes, that is strange. I was worried that the tenuki might harm the family, or the inn, or cause some other sort of trouble, and I told father so, but he wasn't worried. I'm afraid my father may have been tricked somehow by the tenuki. Norikage rubbed his chin. Gonta continued, Or maybe what I saw was a fox that changed itself into a tenuki so that we would blame the tenuki and not the foxes. Foxes and tanuki usually don't like each other, but that seems a bit unlikely, Norikage said skeptically. Perhaps, Gonta conceded. But it is possible that my father was tricked and lured into the forest, isn't it? A chill trickled up Kanishi's spine. Yes, I suppose it is. 
Well, then, thank you, Gonta, for all your help. Rest assured, we will find your father, Norikage said. With that, Kanishi and Norikage left the inn and went to talk outside. When they were out of earshot, Kanishi said, Gonta had nothing to do with what happened to Teta. Norikage nodded. You are right, Kanishi. That was evident, unless Gonta is an accomplished liar. It looks like the pond is going to be the place we need to investigate. What is it? What are you thinking? Kanishi said, I am thinking about Teta being lured into the forest by a fox. I know what it's like to be fooled by a beautiful creature like a fox. Norikage nodded. The scars on your spirit are still raw, I see. Kanishi said nothing, but continued to imagine a beautiful woman, a fox in disguise, leading a mesmerized Teta into the forest to work some trickery on him. Well, anything is possible, isn't it? We must keep an open mind, yes? Kanishi nodded, wondering what would come of all this. Thank you for listening to Heart of the Ronin, Volume 1 of the Ronin Trilogy by Travis Heerman. Volume 2, Sword of the Ronin, and Volume 3, Spirit of the Ronin, are available now on your favorite audiobook platform. Please visit TravisHeerman.com, look me up on social media, or send me an email. I would love to hear what you think about the story. <laughs>